0: Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being.
2: Yo, yo, yo. How's it going, people? Hope you're all doing well, wherever you are in the world. And this week on the Ascend podcast... This is really a cool conversation with a guy called Tao Wimbush, and this conversation was actually recorded about five months ago, might be a bit longer. But the reason why I held this conversation back is because at the time of recording this conversation, I also recorded a few other podcasts on sort of the similar topic. So I wanted to sort of separate this conversation from them. I didn't want to sort of, I don't want this podcast to become the off-grid podcast or the self-sustainable podcast. As you know, there's more to these conversations than just that and I'm interested in so many different stuff, as you know. And I just felt that it was it was, it was good to sort of separate this from the others. And I feel that the time is now right to launch this. So like I said, this is with a guy called Tao Wimbush. He is the founder of the Lamas Eco Village, which is in West Wales, in North Pembrokeshire, which is basically a self-sustainable eco village. He has also lived in teepees, in yurts, in roundhouses, and he's also travelled by horse-drawn wagon. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to alternative communities. He also presented um, a TV series called "Living in the Future," and he is the author of a book called "The Book of, Called the Birth of an Eco Village." And he really does have a wealth of knowledge, and he really is a powerful guy, in my opinion. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but sometimes I do feel that—I mean—you come across these different guys around the world who speak about all these different big topics, and they expose lots of information. Like, for example, like David Ike. And he have has lots of large followings, and he's talking about all this amazing information that's blown people's minds about the society that we live in. But I do feel that sometimes some of the most powerful people are the people who are doing actionable stuff and really making a change on the planet. And for me, in my opinion, I said this to Tao. I said he is somebody who, for me, who really is somebody who is a more more of a threat to the system than somebody like David Icke or anyone else because he is really setting the infrastructure for real change on the planet and showing people on a practical level and on an actionable level how you can really change your environment and change your living um, circumstances to um, to live a much more enriching, free and, and self-reli- self-reliant life and um, i really do feel that he's doing that so anyway i'll just give you a bit of information about the Lamas project it really is a cool place so this place that i went to i'll just give you guys a bit of a, a story i reached out to these guys to do a podcast with them and i wanted to do a conversation with um tau for a long time because the, this this magical place that he is being the founder of like i mentioned is a self-sustainable eco village slash community and it is one of the longest standing and one of the first um, self-sustainable communities in the UK. And it really is a beautiful and magical place. Now, I remember when I turned up and arrived to this place, um, and it was a long drive. I think for me, it's about seven and a half hours. So it took, took us about two days to get there. I, had to, I split the journey up to be, to be safe, and I ended up sleeping in my van halfway. But when I arrived at this place, it really was um, a breathtaking place. It had ponds, it had a beautiful little lake. It had sort of like little, I don't know if you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, but it reminded me of sort of the Hobbit houses in Lord of the Rings. There was many different houses with all many different designs. And what I really loved about it is that all the houses were sort of, um, from a visual perspective, all sort of blending in with the landscape to sort of have lots of grass on the roofs and things and all have... Lots of little cool different designs to the houses. And it just really is one of them places where you turn up and it's sort of like, I mentioned in this podcast, as you will hear, but it's very Avatar-esque. It's sort of like, it reminds me of Avatar. And you just get the vibe from the people who are there as well. These people are are really um, pushing the boundaries and living such a, a, a life that is much more one with nature. And I feel that when you do sort of interact with environments like this and places and people... You do get a sense that, um, well, I got a sense in me belly anyway that, that um, maybe the way that I'm living my life doesn't feel right in comparison to them currently anyway. And who knows, maybe in the future, this is something in the distant future that I want to do because it is definitely something after this conversation of sort of um, interacting with this community and and um, seeing the way that they live the life and how empowering it is. It's definitely something that I want to do anyway. But basically, I'll just give you a bit more information about the Lamas Project. It's basically being created to explore an alternative model for living on the land. And it really does empower people to design their own infrastructure and support their own independent needs and be be completely self-dependent from the system. It's obviously in coordination with the One Planet Development, which we get into more in this. But basically, the One Planet Development is a legal um, sort of system that provides um, l- legal planning permission to be able to do this uh, in in, a, in the correct manner. In the Lamas Eco Village, is is, is basically a collective of sm- of of nine different small holdings. It's sort of clustered together like an eco village. And it has sort of an environmental design with green technology and permaculture in the original design in the past was nine different plots which were actually granted with like i mentioned before with the one planet development were granted uh, planning permission in 2009 by the welsh government and over the various different years In stages of development the construction of this eagle villages has expanded into many more different plots and i was as i was talking to Tao off the podcast he said in the future he definitely sees more and more people joining this project as well and obviously the the project of this expanding which is really cool but like i said it really was like lord of the rings like the hobbit houses it was avatari-esque and it was such a special place and this and sometimes when i do these podcasts I turn up to a different place, different environment. I really do sort of step into, and this is the reason why I keep doing in-person co- podcasts. Not only are they more enriching and they're much better than just doing um, shitty Skype podcasts where it doesn't even feel like you're with the person. feels like you're talking down a manhole cover. <laughs> I always say that. But normally when I turn up to different places, I, I sometimes get a glimpse into people's lives. And sometimes it can just be sort of a normal house or a flat, or sometimes a studio place that I rent, whatever it may be, or whatever it's in in a forest or something, whatever wherever it wherever the podcast uh, get makes wherever I make the podcast happen. But this one really was special because I felt like I really did taste and sort of step into um into the into the lives of of Tao in his in his um in his community in the house that he lives in. With his wife hoppy who was also on the podcast a while ago but it really did ignite something within me and it really did inspire me to sort of um to maybe explore this in the future and it really did sort of ignite something inside of us to say yes this does feel right this is something that maybe does it felt like when i turned up anyway it felt like um it felt like maybe the way that i live my life now maybe it's not 100 percent right And it just felt like this is something that i could definitely um, definitely be aligned with in the future so i know anyway i know you're going to love this conversation and just before we dive in i just wanted to bring a bit of attention to the ascend podcast retreat there are still a few um, spots and places left for that so if this is something that you feel in your heart that you're being pulled to all you need to do is go over to the ascend podcast website and all the details of the retreat on the page it really is going to be a cool experience i cannot wait to hang out with all you guys sit under the stars have some campfires do some meditation do some different mindfulness practices go on some hikes eat some amazing food and it really is going to be such an empowering enriching experience and i cannot wait to meet all you guys who are coming to this thing so if you want to check that out, like I said, all you need to do is go over the Send Podcast website. There is some spaces left, and I'm looking forward and hopefully, guys, some of you guys can come to it. Can't wait to see you there. Anyway, and I just wanted to bring a bit of attention also to the Patreon page. I really am in a time, guys, where I mean, in the past, I had there was a few, there wasn't, there's never been a lot of many, a lot of patrons, but there's always been a, 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 some some patrons, and I really am in a position where. I feel like that I'm traveling around all these different places and I just feel that I'm being honest with you guys That I feel like I really do need some help to take this to the next level like I said before I don't want to do these. I don't want to just take the easy route and do Skype conversations it would be a lot more easier for me I could easy just sort of I wouldn't have to travel anywhere but I don't want to do that because and I, I would I wouldn't do that and I want to, I want, I really do want to keep doing the in-person element and take this to the next level and keep pushing these um these conversations that that no one is having really no one is having these type of conversations out there and pushing the boundaries like I'm doing, and I'm not just saying that from an ego, but they're really not. And I want to keep doing this in-person element because it really is something more special. But I do, just being honest with you guys, I really do need your help. And if you can, donate any amount each month, even the price of a cup of coffee, $2 each month. It really does, I promise you, go such a long way. And it helps the upkeep of this podcast. It even puts a bit of petrol in the tank. And just goes such a long way to help me to keep doing what I'm doing. So anyway, I know, I know all you guys out there are all... Um, are all just on your own journey and trying, also trying to figure shit out, just like I am. We're all in this together, guys. So let's see if we can build something special with this podcast. We already have an amazing community of people. It really does surprise me at times how many people listen to this thing. And I want, to, I want, to, I really want to make this community so big, and I want to take it. It's not about the being big community, but I really want this to spread and change the lives of so many different people. Because I know it has the potential to do it. I know some of you guys that's reached out, and the messages that some of these guests, the guests that I have on, spread, and how it impacts your lives. I know we can reach the masses, and we can reach some more people, and really make a change on this planet. So. I just wanted to say thank you so much for every week tuning in these conversations. It really means a lot. And I know you're going to love this conversation anyway. So without further ado, no more rambling. Enjoy this conversation with Tao. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and we're sitting in the the beautiful lamas eco village which like i said to you before when i drove up to it the street away i got the sense of sort of avatar and i know you were laughing at that before saying because so, obviously you're just used to this sort of we living and things like that but just before we start diving into the, the depths of like what is actually going on here and what in this vision and this thing that you're a part of and the community you're a part of i wanted to dive into your backstory a bit and about your dive into your journey because like I said to you before, I was reading a bit about your, your book that you launched, and I was looking into, I was reading a couple of chapters of it, and you were talking about how you've been on this incredible journey all the way from a young age where you've sort of, this guy, well, I'll let you basically describe the journey, but I think it's good for you to, anyway, to describe it for people. Sure, yeah. sure. sure. Um,
1: I grew up in the mainstream. I grew up in a suburban house, and my dad was an accountant, businessman, and my mum was a housewife, and it was a very conventional upbringing. And I was really lucky in that I had some glimpses of alternative living when I was in my late teens. Um, uh, When I was with my girlfriend back then in and around Berkshire, there were quite a lot of crop circles. And nearby in Wiltshire, there was Avebury Stone Circle. And um, so I kind of touched a little bit of alternative living then. But when I was 20, I had a really lucky break in that I discovered a place called Teepee Valley and I went there just to visit, just out of curiosity, and it completely changed my life, totally changed my life. Because what I found there was a a group of people who had a really deep and rich connection with the earth and with each other. And... I kind of found something that had been missing from my life up until that point—a kind of spirit, perhaps, or a or a or a, a an aliveness in the people, a passion in the people, and a and a connection in the people that just
2: totally inspired me. I love that sort. Just to be to dive into the story a little bit more, so because I know in your book you mentioned that somebody give you just randomly give you them directions, didn't they, where to go for that community? Yeah, Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, m- me and my girlfriend were visiting uh, Silbury Hill. It was the day after solstice, and there was still a few alternative people floating around. And whilst we were walking up Silbury Hill, a guy came down and you know, said hello. We had a g- good instant heart connection. And he said, ah, oh, you need to go and visit this place called Teepee Valley. It's amazing. There's a big lodge there where anybody can turn up and stay as long as they like. And I was like, wow.
2: Sign me up now. <laughs> <laughs> kind
1: of, but kind of also a little bit like, you know, who is this nutcase giving me advice about what to do? You <laughs> know, <laughs> I was very straight then. I, you know, I didn't have much contact with the alternative world. And I kind of, I kind of filed that in a way. That got, got put into my memory. And it was only when later, later on I was at Cardiff University and all the other students had gone home for their summer holidays and I'd already left home. I was kind of at a loose end. I, the previous summer, I'd spent doing telephone marketing for the for the milk board, you know, ringing round cold calling companies. And I was determined I was not going to waste another summer of my life yeah. sat in an office. And so I thought, OK, well, let, let's see if I can find this place. And in many ways, that was quite out of character. But I just, I just decided, you know, I knew it was near Landilo. And that was about all I knew. And so, um, in many ways, out of character, I I set off looking for it. Um, I got a a train out out of the city of Cardiff, and I I walked. And I spent five days walking, and I'd I'd ask people along the way, hey, where's this place called Teepee Valley? And I kind of, you know, I went the long way round, but eventually, five days later, I found it. And it was a bit like finding an indigenous tribe. You know, it was... you know, I was kind of accosted by youths with bows and arrows. Wow. You know, on my way into it, it was you know, it was that kind of different. Um,
2: it's pretty much how I felt when I turned up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bo- here, you? Not bows and arrows, but um, <laughs> Avatar, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there's something in that. There's something in that. In that, you know. At the end of the day or at the the beginning you know we are creatures of the earth we belong to the earth and that connection is is vital to our well-being on on all levels and when you come across people with that connection it it reminds us how far mainstream culture has has removed itself from its roots
2: not even our mainstream culture. I feel like just to give you a quick example is when I t- turned up here. Like I said before, I felt that within my own self as well. How much I've removed my own self mm. from what is truly who I truly really am. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. you when you turned up to that village, did you did you get that sense as well, lad? That yeah. what I just said there. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It it was a it was a yeah it was a a clear reminder mm. of you know how disconnected. I'd become from the source, really. Um, and, and in hindsight, you know, I, I, it was, in a way, in those first weeks, I went into a kind of culture shock. You know, it was so alien, cooking chapatis on an open fire in a teepee. You know, all of that was completely foreign and crazy to me. You know, and I, for the first few weeks, I'd, you know, scamper off to the closest town and have fish and chips and a Mars bar and read the paper just to get my hit of kind of yeah. what I was familiar with um and it and in hindsight it took me a few years to detach myself from the mainstream and reconnect with the earth and and over the years i've seen a lot of people go through that transition and go through that process and it and it, it is a process it's kind of like unraveling the education in in some way or unpicking all these Hidden assumptions that exist; these hidden rules that exist in our mainstream culture, so that you can kind of reconnect, you
2: know, with the earth. Yeah. What was what was the? I would love to know what the when you arrived to that that village you're talking about. What were the people like? Were they were they sort of were they like hippies or were they, or they just people who were just sort of wanting to live a more a more sort of abundant life that's more one with nature?
1: They were total hippies. I mean, they were literally. Hippies in the Teepee Valley, you know, started in the late 60s, 70s, and that's where a lot of the hippies went. You know, it became a refuge, an oasis for them. Um, But wild, wild people, tough, you know, to survive in a teepee in West Wales through a winter requires. You know, strength and stamina and and commitment. Um, and people are people everywhere. Some people are friendly. Some people are indifferent. Some people are hostile. You know, it was a it was a it was a whole mix. But it was clear that it was a a different society, and there were a different set of rules and cultures and taboos um, that that were, that were there. And yeah, I I lived. In TP Valley, he ended up living there for five years, and I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was a really important part of my journey and a really valuable part of my life. And yeah, I, I wouldn't have missed out that chapter for the world.
2: What 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 did it what did it look like when you actually arrived? Is it was it very similar to this setup where you have sort of um, like all these ecological houses and stuff, or was it was it less basic than this? Uh,
1: it was more primitive than this in that there were no there's no vehicles uh, no vehicle tracks or roads in the middle of Teepee valley so you have to park quite far away and then you walk in on little kind of footpaths and then and then you come across people's dwellings and that might be a, a little hut or a tepee or a dome or a yurt or or you know even just a tarp and then people living very very simple simply Um, And then there was kind of livestock, you know, goats and chickens and little gardens and little orchards. And in in many ways, it was like the Hobbit town in Lord of the Rings, Hobbiton. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And kind of a bit like Avatar in a way, in that the people were living really simply. Most people went around barefoot, you know, dressed in really, really simple clothes and. You know, people would hang out around the fire and cook really simply on the fire, and were living really close to the earth.
2: How many people? How many people live there?
1: Um, I think the population is about.
2: Is it still there now as well? Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah,
1: that. yeah. No, it's still going strong. Still going strong. I mean, it's evolved a bit. It yeah. continues to evolve. I, I think the population something like 150, 200 adults. Um it's big spread across a site of something like 500 plus acres i mean end to end it's over it's over a mile and it's kind of formed into kind of little kind of districts if you if you like um each with their own kind of flavor yeah
2: i want to ask you about the um you're, you're, I know as well I was reading in your book about how you said that part of your journey you lived on um, sort of horse and, horse and carriages and travelled around could you speak about, Could you speak a little bit about that because I thought that was really um, fascinating dynamic
1: yeah I mean in truth I, I, te- I kind of I played with living on horses um, I played played with lots of things in a way I, the horse drawn thing uh, that was when I lived at Breth de And we made a barrel top and we would go off travelling in the summer. We'd go off to music festivals and, you know, spend a week on the road or go and visit St David's, spend a week on the road and a week on the road back. And for me, I found um, incredible companionship in relationship with horses it was it's a really beautiful connection the horse connection and yeah i really loved that and traveling on the roads was hard with the horses because the cars don't really give you enough space they don't really slow down enough and it's incredibly dangerous and so you know i kind of i've got huge respect for those people who who live horse-drawn year-round and it's tough on the roads it's a it's a tough life it's got real beauty to it the connection with the horses and the pace of life is has got a real song a real harmony to it it's it's when you're moving at that speed you know two and a half miles an hour it's extraordinary it's um it's a really empowering uh pace um a really inspiring pace it really it really connects you to the land and but very hard to do in in today's world with with the roads
2: yeah, yeah. it's funny you said that as well i love that by the way i loved how you said it's sort of more of an a power and experience what slows you down because even in my life now it's everything's so fast-paced it's mm. gotta go here gotta go there gotta go there get here for this time mm. but i, I love that what you said there but it's funny because even in the uk now there's People, I know there's still certain people that still live that sort of way where they live on horse, horse and carriages. Mm. And I know a lot of people who listen to these podcasts are from other parts of the world. Mm. And I don't think they, there's not many people in their countries that do that. So I don't think people have heard that for a, a very while. So it's interesting. Mm. But I want what I want to touch on with you as well is because I wanted to sort of now go into the journey that you're on now in the in the sort of the, the place that we're immersed in now. And I want to know how did that unfold for
1: you? Okay, so... Um- I live in the Lamasika village, which is a settlement of approximately 15 or so uh, holdings, small holdings, um, in West Wales, Mm -hmm. and this was a project that we began back in 2005, and that first manifested itself in 2009, so that's to say that in 2009, by that point, we'd bought the land, we'd got our planning permission and we were starting to move on um and that was a a a kind of the a manifestation of the low impact movement in many ways we our roots as a, as a movement out here in West Wales go back to, to the beatniks who, who came to West Wales back in the 50s and then waves of hippies and then back to the landers in the 70s and then kind of alternative people. And it also goes back to those low impact communities across the UK, places like Tinker's Bubble and King's Hill and, and all those low impact settlements. And... W- we found ourselves back at the turn of the millennium with an incredible opportunity. In that, after a lot of grassroots lobbying, Pembrokeshire launched an experimental policy, a low impact development policy. And it would have passed by unnoticed had we not kind of seen it, clocked it, and wanted to wanted to do something with it and we saw it as an opportunity to legitimize the transition from mainstream living to off-grid land-based living through the planning system because it meant for the really for the first time since the town and country planning act 1947 there was a way in which people could buy a piece of land and build their dream home on it and so the Lamasica village uh was created to highlight the possibility of this this way out of the mainstream back to the land yeah and and since starting and and with it working on this project the policy's now been scaled up so that it covers the whole of wales and it's called one planet development and yeah it's a fantastic opportunity and it, you know there's a lot of people taking it up it it offers a real chance for people to sell up their house in liverpool you know let go of their nine to five job buy buy five acres um in cardigan and um you know start a business growing carrots and making carrot pate or carrot wine and build a hobbit house or a straw bale tower or an underground house or a timber shack you know it's it's a legitimized way of living off grid
2: yeah it offers hope i think as well a big big sense of hope because i know a lot of people who listen to these podcasts and stuff this is coming from myself as well because i know like i said i turned up here i really resonate with what you're doing and i think there's a there's a big sense in a lot of people where people do feel that there's we're in a time now where you we do need to make better sort of conscious decisions in terms of how we live our lives becoming more one with the land and stuff like that the way the world's going we all, all know it's heading in, in in this in this a direction that doesn't feel right in your heart and more people are wanting to align with something better but like you said i think this now this this project has come up in sort of people like you are paving the way for the people more people around the world are thinking, yeah, I, I, actually, I could do that. I want to do that. And I think what it comes down to is, is people just want to do something that's more in align with who they truly are. And it's about... Because in our daily lives, everything that we do, um, you work, a job, I do this podcast, it's all about putting energy into something. And I feel that people, and myself as well, that we just want to put energy into something that feels right. Mm. And that's, I think that's all it is, really. Mm. But I just wanted to touch on as well... Um, on the aspect of the setup here and explain like sort of how many people live here and Hmm. for really, really as well, obviously people aren't getting on the, on the cameras and on the microphones aren't getting a sense of sort of what it looks like. And it really does look amazing, Hmm. but could you just sort of describe the the inner workings of, of how it looks and how many people are here and Hmm. sort of the inner workings of it basically? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, you could easily drive past it, not notice it was here because from far away, it kind of looks a bit like a, a, A forest probably um but there's it's a forest with little clearings, uh and some of the clearings will have grazing animals, or some of the clearings will be for vegetable gardens, or some of the clearings will be for orchards. And then dotted in amongst the clearings there are dwellings of all sorts and shapes and sizes, built of all sorts of different materials. Um and when you kind of go into it you know we're connected by a network of tracks uh, but in essence what we are is a collective of small holdings in that we are a group of people who have decided to come back and live on the land uh, live an off-grid lifestyle on the land and we're doing that kind of together so all my neighbours all the way around me are smallholders who are working the land in one way or another um, building their own homes and each plot is about seven acres which is big enough for us to have uh, vegetable gardens and soft fruit gardens and a a blueberry patch and and trees which we grow for firewood Um, and then you'll see quite a lot of solar panels for electricity in the summer Uh, you'll see polytunnels and greenhouses where we can grow things um, which aren't so easy to grow outside so my tunnel is full of apricots grapes tomatoes cucumbers that kind of thing um, and then I've got orchards so apple trees are absolutely dripping with apples this year and around the apple trees I've got a little flock of geese that are grazing and keeping the grass down there's lots of ponds there's a whole water network because we try and hold water in the landscape as much as we can because increasingly with with the with the climate change we're getting erratic weather conditions so we're kind of we're we're designing a new landscape we're designing an infrastructure that can support us into the future and that can provide real resilience in terms of providing us with shelter and food and water and livelihood And, and that's an incredibly empowering and incredibly enriching thing to have
2: yeah definitely i love that what is the? i would love to know what's the, like, the so- social dynamics i know before you said you're creating a new sort of um what what what, what do you call that again over there before like,
1: so yeah beh- behind you over there that's the lammas earth center yeah. which is um a kind of center for us to hold music uh sound healing uh indigenous ceremony that, that kind of things so um Amongst uh, the culture here, music plays a very prominent role and um, celebrating the seasons plays a prominent role and there's a whole cultural side to living on the land and living this lifestyle that, that is kind of artistic and an expression of the reconnection with the land base and so yeah we're building a, a center to to provide a kind of a, more of a venue for that at the moment we've got uh, a big TP that we use uh, for gatherings and musical gatherings musical celebrations in the summer, it's kind of easy. In the winter, we're a bit restricted at the moment. In the winter, we have our, our musical gatherings in the goat barn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> with the goats. Yeah. <laughs> the goats all singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: they're in the bedroom kind of chilling out, listening and appreciating it.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. So, so, you know, I would love to like sort of get an insight into the social dynamics because yeah. is, cause obviously in the modern day world, even even where I live now I mean I don't even speak to my neighbours and I know a lot of people around the world don't even don't even know who the neighbours are is there a a social dynamic that that this living in this sort of way does that social dynamic create a sort of a a different type of culture around sort of interacting with people kind of yes and kind of um kind of
1: no in that when people transition to this lifestyle you know it, it takes it takes a while to to let go of the kind of shackles of, of of mainstream and and in some ways this is kind of i see this as a kind of stepping stone you know in, in the right direction and socially it's designed to be very similar to the mainstream in that people have their own kind of small holdings and have their own houses and their own little territories and what they do on their patch is kind of up to them and how they relate to their neighbors or how they relate to the community is kind of up to them so some people live as pretty much like hermits you know because there are some phases in our life when that's what we need and and so some people don't really socialize and then other people uh Socialize a bit or in a particular way, maybe they're part of a hydro team who are looking after the hydro, maybe they've got a group of friends who they play music with, and then other people socialize in in a kind of different way there's there's certainly much more interaction than there is in the mainstream. I know all my neighbors intimately yeah yeah um but uh, and there's a lot more cooperation uh just as we were starting that was my neighbor one of my neighbors rang me up hey have you got a roof ladder no sorry there we are so he's he'll be ringing around and and that's fairly common hey will you give me a hand with this hey if you've got this i can borrow you know that's cool. that's all just kind of normal here um and having said that it's it's not it's not a commune and in, in some ways you know Possibly might not even be an intentional community, I'm I'm not really sure. But for example, there are some things we share. We share water, we share an electrical network, we share tracks, we share footpaths, we share some bits of the woodland and there are some things we share. But there are other things that still we kind of do as individual households. For example, we all grow our own potatoes. Yeah, everyone here has got vegetable gardens and pretty much everyone grows their own potatoes in their own way. You know, there's an argument that, that says, look, if you all club together, you could grow one big patch of potatoes and harvest them and share them out. And in some ways, that would make a lot more sense practically, but I'm not sure that we as human beings are quite ready for that. We're we're on a journey in a way. It's It's clear that the current paradigm is not working for humanity we need to recreate remember or create a culture which is a lot closer to the land base that works in harmony with the elements on which we depend and sees us as part of a wider ecology um, and that is a process that's going to take a few generations to unfold and manifest and and evolve
2: um yeah yeah i love that i was just going to add to that as well as what i felt what i feel by just visually sort of i'm obviously not a part of this but just visually looking at it and stuff the sense of that the way i could describe it is, is very inviting i would say mm-hmm. like see if i'll just visually me looking at the, the way it's set up and stuff in the little community Little projects that I can see that's going on and things. Mm. It seems like, like you said, it's not people. You said people, certain people need certain times where they just need to be by themselves. Mm. Certain more people are more interactive. I think that's just human nature as well. More yeah. people have different sort okay. of different traits within them. Yeah. But the environment itself for me, it it it's sort of it's persuasive in a way. It sort okay. of says, come and ha- it's come and have a look at this. Look yeah. at this. This looks interesting. Yeah. And I, I, this, this this sort of a dynamic to it like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well for me it's about creating an ecology or a system that kind of supports itself Um, and so the landscape is kind of designed to do that Uh, let's take a fresh approach to this when we bought the land yeah, this was just like flat boring fields there was nothing on here few sheep there was virtually no insects no bird life Nothing. It was really you know, wind swept. How long ago was this? Now you ten, years, ten ago. years. ago. Ten years it's ago. Come so far as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so now you're walking around and there's lots of trees and inviting little paths and fruit bushes. And fruit bushes laden with berries and ponds with fish in and lots of birds flying around and insects and you can hear the chickens and you can hear the sheep and you can hear and it's it's diverse. It's um, interesting and interactive and supportive um, and um, extraordinarily abundant. Yeah,
2: yeah. I wanted um. Some, wait, two sentences. I, just, I can't remember. I lost my train of thought there. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you were saying before, talking about the the create a step the stepping stone, like using this as a stepping stone. Do you do you foresee that in the future is What your the vision that you're creating here? Do you see maybe other future, not uh, maybe future generations, or just even the generation now, sort of stepping onto that and using you as a sort of a um, a marker of what can be done, and then from there they can build on that.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and also learning from our mistakes, and to a degree it's already happening in that the. The new applications under the One Planet Development Policy have kind of learned from our experience, and as and they're kind of more streamlined and and kind of better. They they you know they've learned from our, our mistakes because you know there's some things that we did really well and some things that we were a bit clumsy about. So yeah, yeah definitely. And I mean, there's lots of ways of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is like this, particularly here in Wales. Here in Wales, we've got a lot of upland, of, of hilly um, land, that's say, more than 100 metres above sea level. It's not really much good for conventional agriculture. You can't really grow grain on it. It's too hilly to get, you know, big machines on. At the moment, it's set aside for sheep. You know, and there's a place for sheep. And I'm not sure we need, 25 million of them here in Wales. It's, it's a pretty inefficient way of growing food, and it's a pretty high impact way of growing food in terms of how it interacts with the rest of the ecology. When there's sheep, there's not a lot of room for much else because they eat everything all the flowers, all, all the herbs, all, you know, all the young trees just get eaten. Now, this land. Can be farmed in a really effective way it can be managed in a really effective way using permaculture design techniques we can take this upland and turn it into something that is biodiverse and hugely productive and offers people you know housing uh, with lots of potential for micro generation of electricity through solar or, or hydro or, or wind turbines and completely turn it around so that this region becomes much more productive becomes plays a really imp- makes a really important contribution to the wider ecology and also offers a whole load of people somewhere really nice to live you know and and some kind of livelihood and and some kind of purpose
2: yeah yeah do you do you foresee for this on sort of a masquial happening or do you think we're a long way off that
1: i think it's certainly possible i think that we are entering a time of increasing climate instability we are going to see more and more migrations of people you know basically all the climate models say that north africa southern europe middle east are going to become completely uninhabitable those people are going to migrate north and whilst you know we can hold the borders up to a point at some point we have to concede that we have played a part in create, bringing about this climate change and therefore there is some kind of responsibility to our to humanity you know at the end of the day we are all brothers and sisters to to, to try and help out a bit and 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 so where are those people going to go i mean and this whole idea of crowding them into the cities isn't much good or much fun i mean the only way cities can be maintained in themselves is through this large area of hidden land that supports them that provides them with food that provides them with energy that provides them with clean water and then also deals with all the waste from the cities but that's a that's a kind of ideological framework that's outdated that was the concept that was born when there was really cheap plentiful supply of fossil fuels and and that's kind of that's gone that's past its time now we need to think differently i think we can do much better by redistributing people into the landscape and empowering them to create their own solutions you know this is this is a this is a this is a model doesn't require government funding doesn't require government infrastructure it's just basically letting people have a patch of land and and supporting them to create their own solutions.
2: Yeah, no, I love that. I love what you're saying there at the end as well because the way I sometimes I think about it is because as a human being on the planet, the, the you, them basic requirements that everyone really needs, them things shouldn't really depend on sort of like economic structure really. Like that, that should be, every single human being should have access to food, water, shelter. they like the basic necessities. I know there's a few more, but hmm. the, the basic necessities Then everything on top of that, maybe a bonus but I think that's but see the thing is though as well was with if with that with that happening and because it's something I wanted to actually touch on with you was the legal the legal uh, legalities of it because we all know that it's people that if people aren't dependent on them systems you become three in a way I mean I know three is a big word but you you do to a sense you become three and I don't know if the the system itself wants that that to really occur, and that's why I think legality that make it so hard for people to, to really uh, open up avenues to do this mm. I mean do, do you, do you what, what about the legalities of it? do you feel that so that-
1: I, you know I, having worked with the Welsh government mm. to try and bring about this new policy and successfully implemented that and seen that starting to be taken up all, all across the country. You know that is a legal route that's been codified by national government and adopted by local government, which enables people to transition out of the mainstream. Now it is quite bureaucratic. You know, it's, to do this kind of thing, you have to write a big management plan, you have to submit loads of loads of drawings, you have to write an annual report. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy around it. Um, and I'd like to think that in time that will slacken off a bit and that the opportunity will be made more accessible. Um, so so and that came about through a combination of grassroots activists, through people in academia who are willing to research, what the activists were talking about it provide impartial proof of concept it came about because we had people who supported us in the media who were, who were willing to kind of flag up and, and, and raise what we were doing and it also came about because we had politicians in in the right place at the right time who were willing to stick their neck out and say no this deserves a chance you know there there is a place for this it's not everyone's cup of tea but you know if some people want to go and find a piece of land and live sustainably is there really a problem and it was and it was those things that enabled us to create this this government policy route that exists only here in Wales to 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 allow this to happen now i would like to see that adopted over in the rest of the uk and and over in europe Quite, whether it will and how easy that is i'm not so sure we're we're really blessed here in wales we don't we're not encumbered by that heavy aristocratic framework that exists particularly in england um and that kind of conservative kind of uh, attitude so you know there's a there's a lot going for wales but I don't really see that there's there's much choice you know if people if this is what people want you know and if if people articulate that clearly and reasonably it's not how can they say no i, mean, <laughs> I
2: love that i love i love how you see that i really do yeah it's really powerful how you, you're you seeing beyond sort of like just the legalities you actually actually going into the depths of this is really this is who we truly are if you if you want to do it you're going to you're going to find a path to it
1: i mean, I mean in some levels it kind of because i talk about remembering on some levels there's nothing new about this yes. nothing new. <laughs> you know basically uh, you know on on some level it's it, you know we're going back to living simply on the earth and growing our own potatoes and milking the goats by hand every morning and you know on there there are kind of echoes of kind of peasantry and our ancestry there's nothing new it's kind of in our blood it's a kind of
2: remembering yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. then returning to our roots and there's an an incredible that's an incredibly empowering process
2: it's funny because there's there's this even in a sense of like not just like more people now are are looking at alternative living but it goes for everything it bleeds into like health um whatever it is psychology it's like a bleeding back to the to the wheat to the old ways and re- like remembering of what we truly were. It's it's weird because we've seen as a civilization, and I'm obviously a part of this myself. I think we're all a part of it, but we have sort of lost our weight or sense sort of gone off the path a little bit. But then, like more people now are thinking, ah, uh, is that right? Should we take a step back? And I, I I think it's beautiful. I think it's really I do think it's really refreshing what. What um like you said, said, the legislation's called the One Planet, isn't it? One. one Planet Development. Yeah, I think it's really refreshing me because when, I know when people are going to be listening to this podcast and viewers are going to be watching it, they're going to be looking at that, and it gives it gives like a set, even in my belly now there's like a sense of hope yeah. where I feel like oh there's there's something here, there is something bubbling. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you see um are you seeing a new wave of people now like trying to do this?
1: Uh- I'm seeing a wave of people doing it.
2: Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and a w- wave. I don't know that it's a wave. You know, there there is a steady stream of people who are exiting from the mainstream and moving into the alternative lifestyle. And, and that happens on all sorts of levels. Um, you know, some people give up their jobs, sell their house, buy a piece of land and, and make a One Planet development application here in Wales. But, and then there's equivalent movements elsewhere. You know, in Scotland, it's crofting or, or hutters. There's also quite a lot of people, particularly younger people, who are just buying living vehicles.
2: That's what I was going to see. Here, yeah, yeah.
1: And and to a degree, you know, they play a role here too at Lamas. Uh, we've been really lucky to be supported by a lot of volunteers in our time. Um, particularly in building the infrastructure here, building the buildings and putting in the services and all that. And there is this whole population of young people now in living vehicles floating around and you know, they they play a part in our eco village. They they are a part of the population and the culture and the society here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna actually ask you your opinion on the on the van life and stuff like that because when I was saying before that something's bubbling, I get a sense that something is bubbling and more people are sort of trying to find a, a path to sort of curve their energy in the right direction. Because I feel the same, I'm getting pulled towards van life. I'm getting pulled towards sort of living more sustainable. And I feel that this um, this reaction that is van life, tiny houses, yurt living, is a reaction to something bigger. And I feel that more, I mean, because I know I come in, contact with so many people and there's so many young people now not just young people older people as well sort of finding themselves leaning towards this different way of lifestyle and i do feel it's a it is sort of a leaning towards this bigger picture of what you're actually doing now
1: yeah 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 well in in some ways it's nothing new Mm -hmm. you know humans have been migrating across the world across europe for millennia um if you look at you know our roots here in in Wales the celtic roots you know we you know came up following the last ice age along the atlantic seaboard and then we had kind of waves and waves of of um tribal peoples indo european peoples each of them you know adding coming settling yeah. finding somewhere new to live and and settling down so this kind of um this kind of impulse to be kind of mobile and fluid Uh, 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 and to kind of explore is is nothing new um and and totally natural and totally understandable and actually quite healthy for a for a culture society civilization that is entering a period of instability and crisis which is undeniable Yeah. yeah for to to the impulse to seek a bit of security for yourselves, either in a piece of land which you can cultivate and, and build some resilience on, or in a in a mobile vehicle whereby you can you can move around if you need to, where you can relocate, you know, if you need to, is totally natural and healthy.
2: Yeah, I love that. Do you do you foresee do you foresee in the future? I know this is sort of a bit of a, a bit of a negative, but because the way I look at it, the way we live our lives now. I mean, obviously you're you're connecting more than more, more than I am. But if I was to be, if I was to look at myself, see if I was a, if I was my future self and looking at the way I'm living my life now, I'd be sort of in despair at the way I'm living my life. Just like you know, like how in, in a in the world when you look back at racism and, and um, equality and stuff like that, you look back at that at, and sort of you're in disgust. There's a part of you that feels that that doesn't feel right. I'm actually trying to like I'm trying to analyze myself as a future civilization looking back at the way I'm living now and I think that I would be thinking the same thing about the way um my actions are now in terms of sustainability the way I'm sort of just driving a car around fuel yeah. coming out the back of it and just yeah. all the actions that we're doing really
1: yeah it, it's a tough one it's um and and there's been a lot of work done on this topic there's a lady Joanna Macy who's who pioneered the work that reconnects which is all about ex- Allowing yourself to feel that grief for for this this damaging culture, which we're a part of, and in many ways it it feels like we're we're trapped in. It's it's yeah, very difficult to live a life that does not involve lots of plastic, that does not involve lots of fossil fuels. Incredibly difficult. Um, and when you one of the kind of steps in reconnecting with the earth is is feeling the pain of the earth and the, and the damage that we're causing and the incredible loss that of the earth, the loss of the wildlife. You know, that's that's on our kind of that's on our backs really. You know. And going through that process, we've also got to be gentle with ourselves, and we've also got to take it one step at a time. And I say that having gone to the extreme myself for a period of time, I, I went right to the other end of the spectrum. For 10 years, I had no electricity, no bank account, no papers. I lived completely off grid. In the woods, in a strawberry roundhouse, I used to go shopping on horse. Yeah, parking is a nightmare.
2: Especially where to tie it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And people really moan about the horse poop. In all seriousness, what I found when I was living that lifestyle, I was living a kind of, you know, almost medieval type lifestyle, is that I had removed myself from mainstream society so much that people couldn't relate to me. I was just a complete wacko. You know, there's the wacko who lives in the woods, you know. And and so I became totally ineffective and quite isolated and quite kind of... um, yeah, on, on, on one level, it, it kind of didn't work. On a personal level, it was incredibly rewarding and incredibly nurturing and a, a beautiful deep journey. But it became clear to me that if I was going to be of service to the earth, I had to find something that was more of a middle road, that was more of a compromise. And in many ways, that's what Lamas was about. For me, it's about creating a middle road, which has... All that wonder and, and magic and beauty and harmony of reconnecting with the spirit of the earth whilst still staying in the mainstream, having electricity, having a washing machine, you know, having a, a, a lifestyle which people can relate to, you know, and, and, you know, particularly bringing up children, offering them something that is, that is in between, that is a kind of stepping stone.
2: I love that. Do you, do you feel the way that you live your life now? Do you get a, do you feel like free? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do feel free, very free. I feel really privileged um, to have this opportunity. And part of that, my freedom or my choice with this freedom is to commit myself to this piece of land and tie myself to this piece of land um, and that that is an in, incredible journey in itself so you know on one level you know I, I'm incredibly liberated and incredibly empowered and incredibly resilient and thank goodness inshallah but on another level I have to be here every morning to milk the goats yeah, I have to be here every evening to put the poultry away and you know, I'm here and I'm looking after the crops and I'm and I'm tending the land and I'm tuning into the yeah. the blackbirds who are eating my blueberries at the uh-huh. moment and all, and all that kind of stuff. So on one level I'm I'm kind of tied to the land and on another level that's through choice and for me is a is a kind of act of celebration in a way just celebrate in life because through that connection I can just really enjoy and, and express and sometimes um people ask me, sometimes Hoppy even asks me, you know, let's go on holiday, let's go on holiday, but I can't think of anywhere I want to go. I can't think it's hard to imagine places that are as beautiful as this. You know, when the sun's shining, sat by my pond Watching the dragonflies and the flowers and the fish, you know, maybe you've got a few friends around me. And we're playing some music. Why would I want to go on holiday?
2: <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. I really respect that. I think that's, I, I completely feel. I completely feel what you're saying. I really do. Yeah. What, what I would love to ask you the question is: What what is the future of lamas? Like, how, how do you see foresee it in the future?
1: That that's a really good question. I I I um I don't know in all truth that's part of the part of the journey that's part you know i don't know it's a i don't know what the future for any of us is it's a it's a wacky wild bold adventure um having said that you know i I think as, as time goes on this place becomes more and more beautiful more and more abundant more and more desirable there are more and more people attracted not only to Lamas, but also to, to this way of life. As time goes on, we seem to be becoming you know, quite uh, a, a cultural node, if you like, for for, for people. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, anyway, I think I'll leave it there, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what does, does come of this um, project that you're working on as well. And I just want to say first off, I want to say what a, such a powerful, enriching conversation, like this sort of conversation to me, and I know people listening as well, it's going to give them, give them hope, because that's what I feel. I mean, even the second one I said before when I, I drove in here, straight away looking around, I felt like this is, this is home, but at the same time, it's like it's a sense of hope inside.
1: Yeah, 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 I think there is hope. Yeah. I think there is hope. I think you know w- w- what we're doing here is nothing new. It's in our blood yeah we've done it time 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 before our ancestors were doing it before you know we we can reconnect with the earth we can redesign a lifestyle that is in harmony with the earth and a lifestyle that is abundant and rich and bountiful and fun
2: yeah definitely i love that good good place cool cool fist (laughs) pump really cool (laughs) podcast by the way i love that by the way it was powerful conversation thanks so much for listening to the podcast guys really cool conversation that it really was worth the five months wait of putting this conversation out it really was a special one and i've definitely in the future a plan that i have is i definitely want to revisit tau again because i want it i do want um i want to shadow him for a couple of weeks i think that would be really cool i want to really sort of get a, a good understanding and a glimpse of what it really takes from his perspective to to sort of to live that way and i would really love to spend two weeks with him so that's definitely something in the future that i'll, I'll definitely going to be doing i just wanted to mention guys as well which i never really mentioned on the podcast i also have an instagram page where i'm all, always um uploading some cool stuff on there especially when i'm traveling around to all these different places recording conversations i always record stories and stuff on there so it's good, sort of insight, and you get to see a bit more behind the scenes. So me my pod, If you cannot, my the, me, sorry, my Instagram name is called I Am Dan Harrison. So if you want to check that out, that would be really cool. And I'd love to see all you guys over there. Also, just want to mention, if you want to check out the Ascend Podcast Retreat, all you need to do is go to the Ascend Podcast website, and all the finer details are on there also have a patreon page as well and that is the best way and, and will always be the best way to support the podcast and help me to keep doing what I'm doing So I think that's it guys I've said enough thanks so much for staying at the end of this conversation and just to play this podcast out is a really cool song it is called hollow it's by it's called Coastline it's by a, a group called Hollow Coves so anyway enjoy this song peace out.
0: I'm leaving home for the coastline Someplace under the sun I feel my heart for the first time Cause now I'm moving on, yeah I'm moving on And there's a place that I've dreamed of Where I can free my mind I hear the sounds of the season And lose all Sense of time, I'm moving far away to a sunny place where it's just you and me. Feels like we're in a dream, you know. Summer air by the seaside, the way it fills our lungs. The fire burns in the night sky. This life will keep us young, yeah, keep us young. And we will sleep by the ocean. Our hearts will move. The time. And we will wake in the morning to see the sun paint the sky. I'm moving far away to a sunny place where it's just you and me. Feels like we're in a dream, you know?